In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, I mean, today is the fourth Sunday of the Coptic month of Hatur. And the gospel this morning is about the young, rich ruler who came seeking answers to a longing within his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord asked of him something that was very difficult for him to do, and he left sorrowful. And we know the story very well. And in fact, the story is mentioned by all three of the synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the, the interesting thing about this account is that in all of the gospel accounts of this story, they all come in Matthew, Mark, and Luke immediately after the same event. As you know, sometimes the gospel writers don't always mention the stories in the same sequence. But in this case, the story of the young rich ruler comes immediately after Jesus brought a child, or Jesus spoke about children and not um, preventing the children from coming to him. And he used the children as an example of those who inherit the kingdom of God. So for example, in the Gospel of St. Luke, which has the same account as Mark's Gospel this morning, the Lord says, let the children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Oftentimes, it's very important for us when we look at the gospel and to analyze a passage from the gospels that we try to understand the context. And this gives us the context. The context of the young rich ruler is a comparison, a comparison between what it's like to be a child in the presence of God and what it's like to be a big person with big person responsibilities and with big person acquisitions. And the Lord is comparing how difficult it is when we lose that childlike stance before God, that childlike spiritual disposition before God, that childlike trust and dependency on God, that we face these big person problems that this young rich ruler faces and they become crucial life and death decisions that we can't navigate through because of our big person responsibilities and view of life. At the end, the Lord will give the key to understanding the gospel account today um, because the disciples, after seeing what's happening and hearing the dialogue that's taking place, begin to imagine that then who can, who can possibly enter the kingdom of God? how difficult it must be to enter the kingdom of God, given the, the seemingly se severe words of our, of our Lord. And again, he says, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Right? For the child, all things are possible. For the big person, everything becomes impossible. For the child, all things are believable. Faith is easy. Trust is easy. But as we get older and we become, where we acquire all these possessions and um, responsibilities, we lose that childlike trust and dependability on God. So the young rich ruler comes and he asks a very good question to our Lord. He says, what must I do? What must I do? And this is a good question for all of us to ask regularly as we stand before God. Lord, what must I do? 
not what must my neighbor do, not what must I do tomorrow, but what must I do now? As you only, Lord, are like an x-ray that sees the depths of the heart of the human person, as you only, Lord, sees the depths of my own soul at this very moment, what must I do? What do you want from me right now? What is holding me back at this very moment from saying yes to you in the present moment? But it's not only a matter of discernment, what must I do, but it's also a sense of urgency. What must I do now? Because there is a deep longing, a deep hunger within me to follow you, to obey you, to love you, to sacrifice for you. And this is so important in the spiritual life, both that we stand before God seeking that discernment of his will, but also with that hunger, with that desire, with that longing. Lord, I cannot wait for tomorrow, but today I must follow you. Today I must seek you. Today I must find you. Today I must be fulfilled. I must be filled with your presence. I must find fulfillment in my life through you. And so one of the spiritual fathers, he says so beautifully, he says, so much in the spiritual path depends on this fidelity to our emptiness and weakness. Again, so much of our spiritual path depends on us being faithful to that emptiness which is inside of us, to always bringing out that emptiness and that weakness within us, to be faithful to it, because it's that faithfulness to that weakness and that emptiness that leads us to long for greater communion with God, for greater um, adherence to his will, for a greater commitment to discipleship. And so, ultimately, what Christ wants is not something that we do, but something that we become. And that's why we'll see that very early on in the conversation, he redirects the conversation between something that I check off, what what must I do? The Lord says, why do you call me good? Let's bring this to a different angle. Let's bring this to a different level of conversation. Rather than me give you a list of things to do, who am I to you? And who are you to me? And again, very beautifully, a spiritual father wrote, he looks much more at what we are than what we do. He looks much more at what we are than what we do. But what are we? He says, we are in his eyes what we sincerely want to be for him. That is, our desire is how he sees us. Our intention is how he sees us. So he looks at what we are, not what we do. And what we are is not what we are able to totally accomplish according to human effort, but it's what we desire to be for him. That's why to cultivate desire, to cultivate hunger, to cultivate thirst is so important in the spiritual life. And of course, his mindset is is one of acquisition because he is a man who has acquired much. And whether we are rich like him, it doesn't really matter, but all of us have lots of acquisitions. These acquisitions don't have to be material goods. They don't have to make us materially rich. But all of us have all kinds of things that we acquire in life that burden us, that weigh us down. And so in his mind, it's just another acquisition. 
I have acquired so much in my life. Now tell me how to acquire the kingdom of God, how to acquire eternal life, how to, how to acquire favor with God. For him, it's just another thing that he does to acquire along with the many other acquisitions of his life. But Jesus, again, refuses to follow his lead. And sort of strangely, he finds something in his question, which is probably in the mind of the young rich ruler, the most irrelevant part of the question. He, he simply says, good teacher. That's just an introduction. It's like saying, sir, or ma'am, or master, or lord. But that's not really the point, how I address you. What the, the real point is, is my question that comes after, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, I don't want to address the second part of the question. I want to ask, why do you call me good? Why is he hung up on this? Why, Lord, are you leaving the essential question and going to something that seems superficial? He called you good. What's the, what's, why is that important? But again, look at the, look at the physician of our souls, how he, how he analyzes the disease. And he, he redirects, again, the point of the conversation from what must I do to what is our relationship? You call me good. Who do you see that I am? Who am I to you? What will I become to you? And let me also tell you who you are to me and why I came for you on this earth to die for you and to open the gates of heaven for you. This is the question. This is the question. From, from it flows, what must I do? From it flows, what is your will for me? But the essential question is the relationship. St. John, in the, in, the, in the Gospel of St. John, he says, and this is eternal life, this is eternal life, that you know, that they, sorry, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You want to know about eternal life? You want to learn how to acquire eternal life? You want to learn what you must do to enter eternal life? There it is. This is eternal life, that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This is eternal life. So eternal life is now. When I know Christ today, I am in eternal life. Sometimes as Christians, we think that everything that we're doing, is now, everything we're doing now is just, just for some future reality. Just for when we die, God willing, we, we enter into this eternal life whatever that might look like, whatever it might be. But, but the Lord is very clear, eternal life is in knowing me now. We are, each one of us, we are living in eternal life. Eternity, the eternal life is not about just a time that doesn't end. It's about life. It's about incorruptible life. It's about heavenly life. It's about eternal life. And that's why when we take communion, we, we, the priest says, for, and for eternal life to those who partake of him. That is, our communion with Christ now places us in eternal life. We experience eternal life. He is eternal life. St. Peter, at the, at, at the, in the Gospel of St. John, when there's this dialogue about the bread of life and many people stop following the Lord because they are offended by his words, the Lord turns to the twelve and says, do you also want to go away? And again, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. Your word is eternal life. You are eternal life. Following you is eternal life. Why would we leave eternal life now? Because of something we don't quite yet understand. And that's why, again, the answer to the man's inquiry, it seems severe. But the point of it is not the severity of the sacrifice. It's, it's the redirection from doing something to being someone in relationship. That's why the Lord says, come, take up the cross, what, and follow me. Sometimes we focus just on the cross. We say, oh, the cross means give up everything that I enjoy in this life. It means suffer. It means um, sell all that I have and give it to the poor. But that's not the essence of the cross. The essence of the cross is in following him. When we follow him and not follow the world, when we follow him and not follow our own egos and our own desires, our, our fallen desires, we are carrying the cross. Come take up the cross and follow me. Good teacher, why do you call me good? Me, look at me. Again, one of the saints said, the saints who have, or one of the spiritual fathers wrote, the saints who have risen very high in heaven arrive there on the wings of great desires. I must add that to, des to desire to love is already to love. A great desire to love is already a great love. In the same way that Jesus said to St. Augustine, you would not seek me if you had not already found me. He will say to you, you would not have this great desire to love me if you did not love me already. He cannot fail to fulfill beyond even our greatest hopes a desire that he himself has inspired. So desire, again, is already love. When you stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I desire to follow you. I desire to give my life to you. I desire to align my will with your will. You already are doing it. That desire is, is already a sign of your love and your commitment. Don't think that the desire will be fulfilled in this life. The more that we touch eternity in Christ, the more that desire expands. The more we feel we haven't even yet begun. I love very much what a very, very well-respected spiritual father said, a, a giant in the spiritual life. And he said, I feel now when I pray that I have not yet begun to speak to God, to learn how to speak to God. This is what happens with, when we have great desire we have a great love, but we, we desire even more and more because our desire is, is, is its object is an unlimited object. And so the Lord takes him and he says, okay, I want from you a self-gift. I want from you yourself, but begin gradually. So he says, you know the commandments. You know the commandments. Do not do this. Do not do that. Do not do this. Do not do that. You know the commandments. One thing you lack. So he says, it's good. It's good that you want to do the commandments. It's good that you want to think in terms of what must I do. It's not a bad beginning. But now I will get to the, to the part which asks of a total gift of yourself. One thing you lack. In other words, follow the commandments. Obey the commandments. But ultimately, Christ will stand in, at the heart of each one of us. And he will say, but now give me the totality of yourself. Not just your obedience here and there, not just, again, faithfulness to the commandments and not doing bad to your neighbor and not killing and not committing adultery. 
These are the beginning of the self-gift. But the ultimate self-gift is, is unreserved. It's not holding anything back. And that's what the problem of this young man was. He wanted to sort of have a checklist of things that he could say that he did while, while reserving that which was most dear to him for himself. Saying, this is, this is untouchable. Ask anything of me. But don't ask me to follow you with complete self-surrender, with complete self-gift. And so, in the story of the prodigal son, the father says to the older brother, all that I have is yours. And what is our response? What is our response? He says to us now, each one of us, all that I have is yours. Even my broken body and my shed blood is yours. Do with it as you please. What is our response? Our response should be, Lord, in all that I have, and all that I have is yours. Yes, Lord, take everything. My desires, my obedience, my sins too, take them. My misery, my weaknesses, all my attachments, my fears, my anxieties, everything that is truly mine, take them. And the Lord says, I will gladly take them and I will place them on this holy altar and I will offer them up in sacrifice to the Father with you together. What must I be today, Lord? And then the gospel says very beautifully and very powerfully, says Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at him and loved him. We should each pause just for a second and imagine what that look of love was like. How would he look at you and how would he look at me at this very moment when it says he looked at him and loved him? What does the look of absolute perfect love of the uncreated eternal being of God, what does that look look like? What does that look do to my heart? How does it pierce me? How does it transform me? How does it change me? How does it make me forget everything else on earth through that simple gaze of love. And what does he say in that look? He says yes to the young rich ruler. I am the good teacher, but I am so much more. I'm your savior. I'm your Lord, your master. I'm your friend. I'm your victim, the victim of sacrifice. I'm your spouse. I'm, I'm all of these things and so much more. Again, the spiritual father wrote, I assure you we are bathed in love and mercy. We each have a father, a brother, a friend, a spouse of our soul, center and king of our hearts, redeemer and savior, bent down over us, over our weaknesses and our impotence, like that of little children, with an inexpressible gentleness, watching over us like the apple of his eye, who said to us, quote, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the just but sinners. A Jesus haunted by the desire to save us by any means, who has opened heaven under our feet, but yet we live too often like orphans, like abandoned children, as if it were hell that had been opened under our feet. We are men of little faith. When you go to pray at night, 
when you stand to pray in the morning, when you are alone in your room at any moment, just close your eyes and say, Lord, at this moment, I know that you are looking at me with that look of love. Everything else will come. What to say, what not to say, what to ask of. Just let him look at you with that look of love. Then he says to the young rich ruler, go and sell. Go and sell. And he says that to each one of us. Go and exchange. Exchange, maybe is the better. Because when we do sell all of our acquisitions, meaning all of the things that we are attached to, not the things that we use and need to live in this world, which are good and blessed by God, but the things that we are, our hearts are attached to, the things that replace our devotion to God, the things that cause us to wake up in the morning and think about all day long with excitement and with, with anticipation. This is, the, this is the apple of my eye, this acquisition, this desire, this title, this honor, this service, whatever it might be, anything that's not God, even that's masked in something good and beautiful, packaged very beautifully. Jesus says, go and exchange it. Go sell it. Empty yourself of it. Give up the earthly for the heavenly, the temporal for the eternal, and the corruptible for the incorruptible. Go detach yourself. Empty yourself. Renounce your ego, all your fallen desires. Again, very beautifully, one wrote, God calls everyone, sick and healthy, people with outstanding talents and those with lesser ability, those who are rich and those who are poor, the young, the old, the middle-aged, each man, each woman should be able to discover the, particu the particular path to which God calls him or her. And he calls us all to holiness, to ge generosity, to detachment, to self-giving. To every one of us, he speaks in the depth of our heart, saying, come follow me. We cannot give a lukewarm response to Christ's invitation. He has no use for disciples who are half-hearted, who place conditions on their discipleship. He has no use for disciples who are half-hearted, who place conditions on their discipleship. And then finally, Peter, again, the bold spokesman of the group. Seeing all of this, and he realizes, Lord, but look, we have left everything and followed you. We're not, we're not like this young rich ruler who refused. We, we actually did give up everything. Many of us left our families. We, we left our fishing nets. You saw it yourself. And it's, it's as if he's appealing to the Lord for some sort of assurance that, yes, I accept your sacrifice. You did the right thing. He doesn't have any regrets, but it's still like he's seeking some sort of confirmation that he's on the right path. And look at the tenderness of, of our Lord's response. Look at the gentleness by which Christ reassures Peter and how re he reassures you and me that no sacrifice is without reward that no amount of love that we give to God is unrecognized by God. Everything, he says, is accounted for. He says, truly I say to you, Peter, and I say to you, each one who is listening, he says, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now and this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. In other words, there is nobody who doesn't make this exchange, who will be blessed to be content in this life, 
with all of the things that they are letting go of as attachments in their hearts. And not only that, but I will give you a share of my own sacrifice. You will be hated for my name's sake. You will be sent to governors and magistrates. You'll be ridiculed. This has to be a part of our inheritance as well. So he says, you will be rewarded with all of these things, but with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. So the Lord is faithful. And he takes us back to the child. Uh, one of the priests recently I, I heard, on, uh, I think in, in Egypt, in one of his sermons, he was saying, you know, which, when, a, when, you have a, when you're playing with your child and you throw your child up in the air, you know the game that we all play with our children. What happens, what, what, what does a child do when you throw him up into the air? He laughs. He's ecstatic, right? I mean, any one of us, if we were thrown up in the air, we, we would, we would freak out because we know we're about to crack our head on the concrete. We know that this is the end. <laughs> but for the child, this is enjoyment, it's happiness, it's joy. He has total trust. He knows he's gonna be caught. So he brings us back to the child. He brings us back to the child. May the Lord who loved this young rich ruler and gave him the key to eternal life, may he also in his love help us in our discernment to follow him and to give up everything and to follow him all the days of our life. And to him be glory now and ever unto the ages of ages. Amen.